Welcome to Summit Crossing. I am um, one of the elders here. Occasionally get the opportunity to uh, stand before you with the Word of God and declare the truths that we find therein. I pray this morning that you will see Christ as we look at uh, wisdom and decision-making uh, in the book of Proverbs. I, I pray also that you may walk away with some wisdom this morning. Um, there's no way that I can fully expose all that the scriptures have to say about making decisions, right? Uh, topical exposition, true topical exposition would do just that, right? Uh, you would take everything that the scriptures have to say about a topic, you would call that down into some, uh, some uh, ideas that you can communicate and you would preach all that the scriptures have to say. About that topic. So what we're doing is uh, is limiting ourselves to the book of Proverbs on some of these things, uh, because what we try to do here at Summit Crossing is to expositionally preach through books of the Bible. Uh, we've chosen to preach, quote unquote, through the book of Proverbs, but it's a book. It's difficult to just preach verse by verse, um, and so what we've chosen to do is take topics and then preach from the book of Proverbs on that topic. So what I've tried to do in my preparation is, is read and reread and reread and listen to the book of Proverbs, um, thinking through the lens of making decisions, decision-making. What counsel, what guidance might the book of Proverbs have for us when we are facing decisions? And so I am calling this, believe it or not, the wisdom of Proverbs and decision-making. And so um, today, this morning, there's only a couple of texts that are even outside the book of Proverbs. Don't think that what I'm doing this morning is giving you everything the Bible has to say about making decisions. Um, I'm not even trying to give you a, a one, two, three steps of a process of how to make decisions. What I want to do is provide for you some principles by which you uh, go through the decision-making Process. That's because I think that's what Proverbs does for us. Proverbs doesn't give us a one, two, three, how to, right? Uh, Jamie rightly said last week as he was introducing the book of Proverbs, he said, Proverbs are, are uh, not laws, Proverbs are not commands, Proverbs are not even promises, right? Uh, Proverbs are those. Uh, statements that come out of a cultural thing that you might be very familiar with that wisely applies in other places like a, like a principle that's easy to understand and make application in other areas. And he used the example of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's a proverb that we're familiar with in our day and age. Uh, of course, when we say such things, we're not talking about horses, and we're not talking about water, and we're not talking about drinking, are we? We're, we're, we're not promising that you could never make a horse drink water either. There's nothing like that going on. Oftentimes, we're talking about training, or we're talking about equipping, or we're talking about raising a child, and, and you can give them all of the tools that are necessary. Maybe it's a coworker, a new employee. You give them all the tools that they need, and you can train them with all of the expertise that they need, but you can't actually make them do the work, right? That's kind of what we mean when you can say, I can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We're not talking about horses. And so Proverbs are very much that way. So we have to think through that lens as we look at uh, proverbial statements in the Scriptures. And so I'm not giving you a one, two, three, how to or make decisions. I, I hope that's not what you were coming looking for this morning. If you were, you'll be 
uh, sorely disappointed, I apologize. Um, but we're going to look through the lens and ask the book of Proverbs, what are some principles, what are some ideas, uh, what are some ways we can think about ourselves as we make decisions? Now, we all make decisions, right? All the time, every day. There are occasions in life, however, when we make what we call maybe life-directing decisions, those those major life decisions, we may call them. Um, where am I going to go to school, right? Uh, academic uh, endeavors. Uh, what am I going to do as far as a career? Uh, and, and so we think about uh, vocational endeavors. Um, who might I marry? Uh, those are life-directing decisions. Those are those pivotal points where we feel and we sense all of the weight and all of the pressure that whatever I do in this moment is going to direct the path of my life for decades. And some of these decisions maybe even until my death. Hopefully that's what you understand marriage to be, a decision that impacts the, the trajectory of your life until death, right? And so those are major decisions. We, we also make what we might consider life-impacting decisions. Maybe not life-directing, but life-impacting. Big purchases would be things that are life-impacting. We need to make a pause and think through this very clearly. And there are other examples of those things. We make daily decisions too as well, though, right? Um, where are you going to eat after church, right? That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier for my family to make those, those big decisions than it is for us to make the where we're going to eat after church decisions. That's because neither Brooke nor I can make a decision. So uh, we have this, this stalemate of back and forth. And so we just start saying, I'll, I'll throw three on the table and you rule one out. Well, I know that game, right? Right? I, I know what that means, uh, so I'm not going to get into that. So d- decisions are difficult. The big ones are difficult. The small ones are difficult. You know, what are you going to wear today? Right? These, are, these are daily decisions. The seemingly in, you know, insignificant decisions. Where are you going to eat? What are you going to have for dinner? These are seemingly insignificant decisions. But the truth is, if we even look at those seemingly insignificant decisions and we, we put those on a pattern over time, those can have big impact. You know, if you eat certain things as a pattern for a long time, those may cause illnesses. They may have uh, long-term impacts on your health, uh, this, that, and the other. Um, and so th- those insignificant ones, even what are you going to wear today? You know, the old joke is, you know, should I pray when I go into my closet and ask God, what, what should I wear today? You know, I'm, I'm not that legalistic, I'll be honest. I didn't even think about what I was wearing today, to be honest. Um, but over a pattern, absolutely, what you wear and how you present yourself can have life significance, can it not? Um, hopefully you see that. But we won't get into how you make those decisions or what might be the right or wrong decision in those things. I just want you to be aware that we're all making decisions. Major decisions, big decisions, seemingly insignificant decisions, we're all doing that. And so I believe because we are all making decisions, we all need wisdom. We all need wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is really, if you look it up in definitions, and there are different dictionary definitions, and being one who, uh, just sidebar, um, I am a lover of wisdom. Let me just put that out there. 
Uh, I'm a philosopher and, you know, a, a lover of wisdom, not only because I have this innate just in me who I am, love wisdom, but because that's what I studied in school. Um, philosophy is what my degree is in. I don't recommend it because there aren't many career opportunities out there for you. Um, so it was, might not have been the best decision uh, that I've made, but it has served me well, I'll be honest. Um, but dictionary definitions, the quality of making sound decisions or judgments by the appropriate application of experience and knowledge. So what, what is wisdom? It, it just means that you have the ability to make good decisions, to use your experience and use your knowledge base, understand how those things work in your current situations, and make a sound judgment about a matter. Now, the difference for us is that we have to understand that the way the world defines sound and the way the church defines sound is very different. Natural wisdom, that is the worldly wisdom, defines sound primarily in regards to self-benefit. So you may be at work and you may have uh, an, an issue presented to you or a potential promotion presented to you and things like that and, and there may be other people vying for that position and you can make some decisions as you approach that and some of those decisions based on ethics may be to your detriment in getting the job. But you hold to your ethical standards and you don't do the things of backbiting or gossip or slander or... Uh, stealing the um, accolades for someone else's work and those kind of, you don't do those sorts of things and you don't get the job. Other people may do those sorts of things and benefit from it. And so worldly wisdom might tell you to put your ethics aside for a moment because the most beneficial thing you can do for yourself in this situation, and that's where situational ethics is born. That's not the definition of Christian wisdom. Christian wisdom is different because it defines sound differently. Christian wisdom defines sound in accordance with the character, nature, and law of God as revealed in the Word of God. Christian wisdom defines sound in accordance with the character, nature, and law of God as revealed in the Word of God. So if that's what we mean by sound, then what do we mean by wisdom? It means making decisions, the quality of making decisions in accordance with the character, nature, and law of God. That is, in accordance with the Word of God. In various given situations, by, appro by appropriating and applying experience in life and knowledge of God to various circumstances and various situations. So this is Christian wisdom. And so as we talk a little bit about what it means to make wise decisions, what I want to present to you this morning is what I believe somewhat of what the book of Proverbs is, is giving us in principles for how we can go about making Christian sound judgments. Um, so... Let's look a little further before we dive into Proverbs and understand what we mean by wisdom in the Christian sense. Matter of fact, we'll start with something in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8. 
starting at verse 22. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 8, starting at verse 22. This is this beautiful um, description of wisdom. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the earth, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of deep became fixed, when he set for the seas its boundary so that the water should not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. This is wisdom. So what, what is Christian wisdom? To sum that up, really, Christian wisdom is the mind of God. The very rational and reasonable mind of God in action during the work of creation. It was by wisdom that God created all things. This is why we can do science, right? Because God created things in order with wisdom. And so when you are called this morning to exercise godly wisdom, Christian wisdom, I am calling you to the mind of God. I am calling you to put on the mind of God. Christian wisdom is not only the mind of God, Christian wisdom is appropriate in worship. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding or insight. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what that means is not this fearful, I am afraid of you. It's reverent worship of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because once you have understood the glorious might, the glorious beauty, the glory of God, you now begin to act with wisdom. Now you've understood by His grace how things really are. You've gained understanding because you've begun to properly worship God. So Christian wisdom is the mind of God. Christian wisdom is the fear of God. And honestly, Christian wisdom is the Son of God. We'll step outside of Proverbs for just a moment in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding. This is Paul praying for the church that we'll be knit together and come to this understanding, right? This wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding. He says, resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery. As he knits us together and as we understand the nature of God and understand what God has done really in the gospel, then 
that results in a true knowledge of God's mystery. What is God's mystery? He says that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so Christian wisdom is the mind of God. Christian wisdom is the fear of God that is proper worship. And Christian wisdom is the Son of God. Christ is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And so seeking wisdom is seeking to know Christ. Seeking wisdom is seeking to be like Christ. So please don't misunderstand me this morning and think that what we're doing is just looking through the book of Proverbs for some pithy statements that we can say gotcha with or looking for some pithy statements we can use to to, um, validate our own actions. No. What I'm trying to do this morning is expose to you from the book of Proverbs some principles by which we might be able to make wiser decisions so that we may know Christ and be like him. So don't devoid what we're doing this morning of of Christ by any means. This is who we are studying. And so based on the fact that the mind of God, the fear of God, and the Son of God is Christian wisdom, I will strongly say to you that you cannot live Christianity. You cannot live in accordance with Christian living without pursuing and seeking wisdom. You cannot worship God. Listen, you cannot worship God without pursuing wisdom. For if you worship without wisdom, you shall worship idols. Because knowing God and fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And so I call you this morning to think with me about a pursuit of wisdom that we may make better, Christ-like, God-honoring decisions. Okay. So, with all of that said, we have to understand that wisdom is a pursuit. And yes, it's a difficult one, I'll be honest with you. Wisdom is not for the faint of heart. Wisdom is hard work. It's not, you're not born with it. Matter of fact, you're born with a fallen mind, so you don't trust your own reason and rationale. It's hard work. Nobody told you when you were saved, I hope, that Christianity was going to be easy work. Wisdom is a part of the Christian life, and it's not easy. And so I'll call you this morning to the hard work of pursuing wisdom. The good news is if you do so, it shall be granted. In Proverbs chapter 2, we find that wisdom is attainable. Wisdom is accessible. Proverbs chapter 2, starting at verse 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. And I apologize, that's too small for me to read. So I'm reading from the NASB. It's ESV up there. Hopefully you can follow along. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. You hear this, this longing for wisdom, right? This, if, you, if you cry out for discernment. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Listen to that. If you will cry out, you will discern. For the Lord gives wisdom. 
From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And so we have this proverbial phrase given to us that if you will seek wisdom, if you will diligently cry out for wisdom, you will attain wisdom. Why? Because it is the Lord who gives it. And so I want you to know, while wisdom is a hard work, it's not for the faint of heart, all of that kind of stuff, you've got to diligently engage in the pursuit of it. It's not dependent on you to become wise. God is the giver of wisdom. And for those who seek it, He grants it. As a matter of fact, it, it can be quite simple. In James chapter 1, verse 5, we're, we're told this. As a matter of fact, let's start with 8.17. Let's look at Proverbs 8.17 first. Sorry, I got out of order. 8.17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. This, this is not... God or Jesus, as you might think, New Testament terms. No, this is wisdom speaking. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, I think wisdom is Christ. But this is wisdom speaking. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. How do we go about finding him? We simply ask. Now, James chapter 1, verse 5. James just clearly calls it out and says, If any of you lacks wisdom. Anybody? Anybody lack wisdom? Man, there are a lot more wise people in here than, than I expected. I lack wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It doesn't end there. And it will be given him. And so diligently pursue wisdom, long for wisdom, seek it like silver. Know that if you pursue him, he will grant wisdom, and if you ask in faith, he will give it. Wisdom is accessible. And so don't turn me off if you think I'm just a simple-minded man, right? No, wisdom is for simple-minded men. You'll find that. And so, I ask you to go with me, bouncing around in the book of Proverbs, to learn some principles that we can ask, what guidance does Proverbs provide for making decisions? Now, you might think that what you would do if you were going to do this kind of study is just search the book of Proverbs for the word decide, right, or decision. <clears throat> you only find it a couple of times in the book of Proverbs. So this could be a really short sermon. Uh, Proverbs only talks about decisions twice. And the truth is, uh, both times uh, it refers to casting lots. So if you wanted to be real legalistic about this thing, the only thing the proverb says about making decisions is cast lots. When the lot is cast, lot may be cast, but the decision belongs to the Lord. Those kinds of things. Those are the, where the word decision is used. But I don't want you to hear me say, I don't want you to think that the way Proverbs tells you to go make decisions is just roll the dice. That's not what Proverbs is telling you. Those verses are really talking about the sovereign work and providence of God, right? Not the process of making decisions. And so uh, <clears throat> I'd like for us to think through 
how we do this. And so no time uh, is allowed this morning to point out every single proverb that touches on decision-making or touches on the, the attitudes toward decision-making. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to focus on those which seem to be repeated a lot in Proverbs. And then I'm going to try to group those in three categories for us. So it's not exhaustive. I hope, though, it is at least expositional of Proverbs. The first category that I see uh, that's repeated a lot about our principles for making decisions is the requirement for prudence. Prudence is not a word we use much in our day and age. That may say something about us. I wish we used it more. Uh, what is prudence? Uh, my children are probably tired of hearing me say things like this. Uh, prudence has several different uh, variations of definition and nuances, but, but when I think about it, it's more about uh, evaluating the long-term risk of things uh, and, and gathering all of the data that you can gather to make a full and complete decision and thinking how that decision will impact the future. And so the way I remind myself and others about this, and my children especially, is think in future tense. That's what I tell them. Think in future tense. When you're making a decision, think in future tense. So the clock is counting up, uh, by the way. I don't know where I stand on time, so I'm just going to keep going until it gets to zero. Some of you got that, didn't you? All right. (laughs) So think in future tense is a part of being prudent, right? And so let's look at what that means in Proverbs and how we see that in the book of Proverbs. First, in Proverbs 27, verse 12, we read that prudent, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. You see, those who are prudent, when they come to decisions, they look forward and they think about the impacts of that decision. They think about the risk of that decision. They see the dangers of the consequences of that decision, and they hide from those dangers. What does it mean that they hide from those? They don't make the decisions that lead to that danger, right? Now, this is, of course, uh, not a rule, but a principle. Sometimes in the Christian life, God calls you to dangerous places. And that's why we say these are principles. Because you may see danger, but you also may see the overwhelming good that can be caused by the acceptance of that risk. And so the prudent looks at the risk, looks at the benefits, does what we say in industry, a risk analysis, and says, okay, I'm willing to take that risk for the benefit. That's prudence. That takes time. That's hard work. The prudent acts with knowledge. As we move forward in uh, Proverbs 13, verse 16, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now these are, I'm just giving you one or two of these, and there are, there's a plethora of verses in Proverbs that say almost the same thing. And that's why I pulled these out, is because they seem to be repeated, right? An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. So the prudent man 
will we'll pause before making the decision and gather all of the data, gather the important information needed to be able to think through all of the consequences, think through the options. Did you know you have options when you make a decision? Some, some people don't realize they have options. They just see a path and they run down it, right? And don't realize that, well, wait, I need to pause and think, gather some information, and you may even have more than two options if you apply prudence, if you apply the knowledge that you have about a situation and where you don't have knowledge, you actually go find and seek that knowledge. You may find you have more than two options. And so the prudent man evaluates all those options and understands with knowledge what would be the ideal or best situation. Because of that, the prudent man takes his time to gain those facts. Chapter 18, verse 15 an intelligent heart, did I already read that one? Sorry. 1815, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. In the ear of the wise, see, they repeat, in the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. He seeks knowledge. And so the, the prudent man knows that he needs more information, right? And so the prudent man knows that his heart desires information. And so in his ear, I mean, it's just, just proverbial things, right? We're not really talking about the ear. But he seeks knowledge, He takes the time to go and find the information that is needed for a good decision. And he holds his answer for the appropriate time. In 18 verse 13, we see that he holds his his answer. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. The prudent man waits until he has gathered the information required before he acts. He weighs the pros and the cons. Sometimes we only weigh the pros because our heart tells us that we want it. Right? But the prudent man doesn't act so quickly. He doesn't give his judgment so quickly before he has heard, before he has contemplated, before he has taken in all the information. So finally... The prudent man doesn't rush to judgment. And this is something that our press really tries to make us do. And so I wanted to point it out in chapter 18, verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The prudent man doesn't decide based on one side of the story. The prudent man doesn't decide based on one option. He weighs all of the options, gathers all the information, right? Weighs the pros and cons and decides with wisdom. Our press today tries very diligently to give us one side of the story all the time. And so I encourage you to not just listen to one side of the story. I think that's biblical. Exercise prudence and hear it all. So that's the prudent piece, and there's much more in the book of Proverbs that call us to prudence. Let's move to the next category of things that I think Proverbs calls us to in making decisions, and that is humility. Humility is seen in different ways in the book of Proverbs, but one is is in which we, we are seeking abundance of counselors. We see this a bunch of times in the book of Proverbs, but I'll share with you one. In Proverbs 11, 14, Where there is no guidance, a people fail. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. 
Now, why do I put that in the category of humility? You know, we don't like to say we don't know. We don't like to say that we need help. We don't like to say, I can't figure this out. We certainly don't like to say, I don't know what to do. But the Proverbs tell us again and again and again that we must seek an abundance of counselors when making decisions. And so we don't run hastily into them. We pause, seek the information, but also seek the guidance and counselors of others out of humility, confessing that I cannot do this on my own. I do not understand it. I do not fully grasp all of the possibilities. Help me. You've had an experience that I've not had. Can you walk with me through this experience and let me learn from yours? We must have an abundant, be humble enough to seek counsel from others in an abundance thereof. And not only do we see humility in the sense of abundance of counselors, we also see it in, in a call to not always think that you're right. That's humble, right? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but, as my, but a wise man listens to advice. See, if we, if we always think that we're right, we are foolish and proud. We all know what pride comes before, right? It's another proverb. We cannot always think of ourselves as right. We must be humble enough to confess, not only do I need counsel, but you know, I'm probably wrong this time. That's why I need counsel. My heart is sinful. My rationale and my reason is also fallen. And sometimes I want to just do what my heart says do or I want to do what I think in my mind is the right thing. But I cannot always trust myself because I am a sinner. Are you agreeing with me? And if we confess that and know that, we cannot say that we're always right and act as if we are. We must put our ideas before others and say, check me here. Is this sinful? Do you see sin in this? Or am I doing the right thing? Or should I do something different? That's humble. And that's a part of the decision-making process. The other part of humility as it comes to making decisions is being willing to accept that advice in the form of reproof. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. That's Proverbs 15, 31, and 32. You see, because we're sinful, because we're sometimes wrong, because we need counsel, we ought to be willing to confess that sometimes I need to be reproved. And we must have trusted men and women in our lives who we trust their relationship with God, we trust their wisdom as being given by God, and we listen to them even when we've not asked and they point out the error of our way. Maybe we've started down the wrong path and God sends a, a, a godly individual to point that out to us in humility and reproves us, rebukes us, challenges us, 
And if we do not listen to that life-giving reproof, we hate ourselves. But those who do dwell among the wise. And so a part of making good decisions is being willing to listen to reproof, and that requires humility. Third, we have prudence, we have humility. Third, we must exercise self-control. I hope that clock didn't start at zero. Okay. We must exercise self-control. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32, we're talking, he's talking about anger here, but really when it gets down to it, we're talking about self-control in regards to anger. But whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Listen to me for a moment, right? So in this day and age, right, in, in, in the Old Testament era, I mean, you praised warriors and men of might, right? Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, right? You have these men of might, these conquerors, if you will, that were put on pedestals and loved, and they would genuinely take cities, bust through fortified walls, strategically planning with great military wisdom the takedown of cities. But Proverbs says, somebody who's just slow to anger, right? Somebody who is able to rule, not that big city, but somebody who's able to just rule your own spirit with self-control is mightier than the one who takes cities. That was, if we understood the culture of that day, this proverb would be overwhelming to our minds. Wow. The one who exercises self-control. Self-control is, of course, one of those fruits of the Spirit that were given by Paul. As we exercise self, and so self-control must be exercised in the making of decisions. Why? Because in making decisions, we cannot race to the first thing. We can't just let our heart carry us wherever we want to go. And I'm afraid in our day and age in America, that's precisely what we do. We just let our heart lead us along. Some of us let our minds just lead us along and never give a thought to the emotional wreckage that may cause. And so we have to take the full body of wisdom, both reason and emotion, and slowly exercise self-control. The man who exercises self-control controls his words. Look at it in Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Listen to this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. What a beautiful proverb, right? What a beautiful proverb. Just be quiet sometimes. How many times, maybe in my life, how many times have you been in a meeting, right, where it just makes more sense to be quiet? There's a lot going on, a lot of things being tossed around, a lot of different ideas, and none of them seem smart. 
And so the smartest man in the room is the quiet one, right? I remember when I first started doing the type of work I'm, I'm, I'm doing now, I was taken to a lot of different places across the nation. I sat with very intelligent men, and, and I was there to give them some guidance on some difficult, complex things, but I hadn't been doing that very long, and, and there was somebody else in the room that could kind of talk about those things, and, and I had been to probably three or four of these meetings, and after one of them, he came to me and he says, why do you never say anything? And I said, well... I think I've figured out everything that needs to be said, and I could answer all those questions. What I haven't yet fully understood is what does not need to be said. And so until I know what I do not need to say, I'm not going to say anything. That's God-given wisdom. It's not Joey's wisdom. That's God-given wisdom because silence sometimes is the work of the wise. And so what I mean by that is exercise. You might have all these ideas. You might have all these decisions you think are right. But self-control restrains you, clutches you, so that you might understand what does not need to be done before you act. And Proverbs 9, 12, 2 makes that very clear. Desire without knowledge is not good. Just stop right there, right? America needs to hear this. Desire without knowledge is not good. That's enough. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. To make good, wise Christian decisions, you must exercise self-control. Don't let your heart get out ahead of you. Don't let yourself... Begin to dream about those possibilities and latch your heart onto what you think is good. The old adage, our proverb is, the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence, right? That's what we mean. What we mean is, don't let your feet move with haste. Don't outrun yourself or you will miss your way. And so act with prudence, seeking knowledge. Act with humility, seeking advice. And act with self-control. The key, though, is that we can do all of that work. And I'll be honest with you, that's kind of my wheelhouse. It's what I, I love. It's why I love wisdom, right? I'm a philosopher. I love her of wisdom. I like doing that kind of work. Where I end up having trouble is on the back end. Uh, some people say analysis, I mean paralysis by analysis, and I'm probably guilty of, of that because the, a good, wise decision maker doesn't stop with making decisions. You must, and the Proverbs tell us, act out those decisions. You must carry them out. Making a good decision is not the end that we're going for here. Acting out with wise decisions is what we're going for, and I'll do three quick things, and I'll try to wrap this up. First, in Proverbs 19, verse 21, man is seen as being shifty, making all kinds of decisions, right? Many are the plans in the mind of a man. I mean, I can make all kinds of plans. I can make all kinds of decisions. I know people like this, even more so than me, that will jump from one decision to another. Now, I don't do that. I'll, I'll make the plan, and that plan is never going to change. It's just hard to take a step, <laughs> right? 
But I know others who, who have many plans, and they'll move from one plan to the next. And, and one, one month, they're telling you all these things that they're going to do, and next month, they're not even thinking about those things because they've got another plan, right? They've got another dream. They've got another vision. None of those things ever happen because many are the plans in the mind of a man. But let's be clear. Though we may change our plans from day to day, it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so we must carry out the plans that God has given us. We must exercise godly wisdom in making decisions, and we must carry them out in accordance with the purposes of the Lord. The second thing that we do in acting out decisions is, is that we, we see in, in Proverbs 20, verse 5, this idea that, that our plans may be deep. We may have it fully thought out. This is where I'm most guilty. Fully thought out, right? The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. I, I got it fully thought out. When I was, and, and people have said this about me, when I was 16 years old, I could tell you what I was going to be doing 25 years later, and I did it. That's not because I'm great or anything like that. It's just this is me. My plans are well thought out, and I don't shift from them until God forces me to, and I end up working at the arsenal instead of being a pastor. It's God's purposes, right, that will be carried out. But the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. But here's the wise man. The wise man is not the one who plans it all out. The wise man, listen to it, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You may have deep, deep, deep waters, but if you don't have a bucket and a rope, that water is useless to you. And it takes wisdom to carry out the plans of your heart. So you can make all the decisions in the world, but until you act, you are not yet exercising Christian wisdom. And so let me go back to where we started in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to finish reading what I had started reading and start this time at verse 8. Because while we've been called to seek diligently for wisdom, let's hear what wisdom will do for us in verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice. And he preserves the way of his godly ones. Listen. Then, once seeking wisdom and receiving wisdom, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you. And so all that I'm trying to say this morning is seek wisdom. Be prudent. Be humble. Be self-controlled. And as God grants wisdom, He will guard your way. As Proverbs 3 says, He will make your paths straight. The comfort that we have in all of this, as we feel the pressure sometimes of those weighty decisions, I want to relieve that pressure. Yeah, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's hard. But don't go into those difficult decisions without Proverbs 16, verse 9 in mind. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
So as you exercise good, godly wisdom in making decisions and you do the hard work of prudence, trust that it is the Lord who directs your steps, that it is the Lord that accomplishes purpose. It is the Lord who is at work in you. And hope that that relieves the pressure because you can trust in his sovereignty and you can trust in his goodness. And our good, sovereign Lord accomplishes his purpose as we exercise godly wisdom. Wisdom in decision-making is a lot like evangelism. Salvation is from beginning to end the work of God. But we are called to do the hard work of proclamation of the gospel from the word of God. Decision-making from beginning to end is a work of the Spirit in your heart. But we are called to do the hard work of prudence, seeking advice, controlling the nature that wants to run out ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the God-given wisdom that we find in it. We pray that you will help us to digest and understand with wisdom what you lay before us. And I pray, God, that as we seek wisdom, we will continue to understand that it is Christ that we seek. And as we find wisdom, it is the mind of Christ which we find. And so set our hearts aflame in this pursuit. It calls us to know you and love you and therefore worship you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.